It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Ooh, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world! Ah, oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Hey there, MD Nation. I want to let you guys know that today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and refer immediately to be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. Be sure to reference this show, the MD's Fantasy Football Show, when you sign up. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. And now for the show. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome in MD Nation to the show. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show, and as always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We're coming to you guys with the Sunday afternoon recap of Week 7 for your fantasy football purposes on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. And what a crazy week it was. A lot of points, some disappointments as always, but also some wonderful treasures that we found ourselves on top of today. It was a good week overall for me personally, so I'm always going to be in a little bit more of a better mood when doing these recap shows when the Sunday afternoon actually went well. We are recording this on Sunday night, so that way it's available to you guys early Monday morning. So we are recording while the Arizona and Seattle Seahawks game is currently going on. That will be part of tomorrow's show, or Tuesday's show, I should say, because you're going to be listening to this on Monday. Part of Tuesday's show, we'll be doing the Sunday Night Recap, the Monday Night Recap, and the Waiver Wire Report. You can always listen to that on WWSRN app on iOS or Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Android or on your favorite streaming app, Google uh, Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you like to go, iHeartRadio. We are widely available to you, the Belly Up Sports' MD's Fantasy Football Show. And make sure you're following us on Twitter, at BellyUp. MDFF show and on Facebook as well. So now that that's all out of the way, we have a lot we have to get into as always the 
uncap these games, get into the minutia, figure out exactly what we learned from this week and what to take with us heading into week eight. That's what this show is all about. So we want to dive in here to the Green Bay Packers, to the Houston Texans. And in this game, we had a Almost a shootout we were expecting. It was a high-scoring game, 55 points. I was expecting maybe a little bit more on the Houston side. Didn't quite get it, but what are you going to do? And we're going to talk about that right now. Deshaun Watson, he had a very good game. If you played Watson, you got the points that you wanted out of him. Goes over 300 yards, two passing touchdowns. Actually has a clean game in this one. No turnovers. Does tack on 38 yards rushing. His schedule, and of course they have the bye week next week, so keep that in mind. But his schedule the rest of the season is very favorable. Favorable, and the offense that they are running is more conducive, or at least the play calling is more conducive and more fluid than what it was under Bill O'Brien, and it continues to be as such. So good things are ahead for Deshaun Watson. He continues to be a top 10 quarterback. The guy that I think a lot of people are going to want to talk about is David Johnson. Now, on the ground, he was disappointing because he only had three yards to carry, 14 carries for 42 yards. This is supposed to be a plus matchup against the Green Bay Packers. Once again, the offensive line of the Houston Texans just really leaving little room to run for David Johnson. But on the plus side, something that we have been talking about for a while is getting the running backs involved in the passing game. And they did just that. David Johnson had four catches, 42 yards. He brought in a receiving touchdown in this one. So he still winds up giving you a pretty good game. But Duke Johnson had five catches on five targets for 43 yards. He was also involved. Nine targets all together for the running back unit. That is what you want to see more out of for the Houston Texans, making things a little bit easier on Deshaun Watson and also getting guys like David Johnson the floor that they should have from week-to-week basis. Look, his ceiling days are done. It's been... I believe it's now 26 games or something of that nature that has been since David Johnson has actually rushed for 100 yards. His ceiling games, his big games, those days are behind him at this point. But the volume he's seeing within this offense, you want him to have a floor. He should at least have an RB2 floor as long as he gets involved and stays involved in the passing game, especially when you're talking about half-point, full-point PPR leaks. So more of this is what you want to see. You'll take the rushing disappointment as long as he's involved in the pass game. Hopefully that will continue. Now, like I said, they go into the bye week. They're probably going to look for some things to adjust on. They're one and six at this point. So basically, they're just looking for something to be able to build on at this point. I'm not worried. Some people have talked about, well, what happens? You know, they're one and six. Do they turn things over to Duke Johnson? No. They know what they have in Duke Johnson. They've had him for a few years. He's not the future there. He is number two back there. So I'm not worried about David Johnson ever really losing work just because the Houston Texans find themselves outside of the playoff race. That's not something that's going to concern me. I know there's been some rumors circulating around about Brandon Cooks, about Will Fuller. Are these guys that could possibly be traded? While I will not rule it out, I don't know what the benefit for the Houston Texans would be to trade those guys. The the reason that we want to trade them is to try to accrue some of their draft picks back. Other than maybe getting a second rounder for Will Fuller, maybe you get a second or third rounder for Brandon Cooks, and that's probably the best that you could do. I think it'd be more worth it to them to hold on to a Brandon Cooks, to hold on to a Will Fuller, to give the next coach, the next GM, really the offensive weapons. This, This team has offensive weapons. But what they need is a better coaching scheme. What they need is to figure out how to get some personnel on the defensive side of the ball. That's what they need to do. So I don't know if selling off your two receivers is really going to do much. What are you going to do? You're going to want to drafting guys in the second round next year to just replace them anyway. So I don't, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me 
But this is more of a fantasy football show. We'll have to wait to see how that thing plays out. But me personally, I tend to lean on the side that Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller will be there for the rest of the year rather than it them winding up being traded away. And that's all to go to say that Brandon Cooks, again, for the third game in a row, is heavily involved and gets heavy volume. Now, Again, for the third game in a row, it seems like he only got involved into the second half. But with the Houston Texans defense being the way that it is, Houston they're gonna they're gonna have to continue to come back from behind. Unfortunately for them, but beneficial for fantasy fans, for fantasy football players. And Brandon Cooks is somebody who's playing himself into a high volume wide receiver three spot. It's three games in a row. It's not a fluke. This is more what he is than what we saw at the beginning of the season. Now at this point. And while he's only had one game where he went crazy, 161-yard performance a few weeks ago, if he's going to continue to see this kind of volume, nine targets, seven catches, 60 yards, he's actually been more consistent with his involvement in the game plan than Will Fuller has been, who does get you a touchdown. So if you played Will Fuller, he did bail you out. He didn't give you a terrible fantasy day, but he was thoroughly bottled up. And I said coming into this game, like, look, you have to play Will Fuller as a wide receiver too, because he's frankly just been too good. And this game had shootout potential written all over it. But J.R. Alexander is no joke. He has played like the number one corner in the NFL to this point. And that's why he was able to bottle up Will Fuller for the most part. And he got, he got you a touchdown at the end, was able to bail you out, but only finishes with three catches for 35 yards on six targets. Randall Cobb, there was definitely some emphasis in getting Randall Cobb a little bit of a revenge game in this one. 10 targets, 8 catches, 95 yards. That is not a stat line that I expect to continue. His involvement since Bill O'Brien has left has been incredibly hit or miss because they have Brandon Cooks lining up in the slot more. They're intertwining them a little bit more here and there. I think this was more of an emphasis to allow Randall Cobb to kind of give his revenge game than it is something to kind of key on moving forward. He continues to be a full-point PPR wide receiver for flex play only for me. And I don't think that's really going to change too much. Uh, the tight ends didn't get involved at all in this game. So that, that winds up being a bad call on my part because I thought if Atkins played, he would at least be a streamer in this one. They had been throwing the tight ends the ball in the end zone. That just never came to fruition in this matchup. Again, Houston was down by a ton by, by the time they actually started scoring in the second half. They scored all of their points in the second half in this game. And it was just kind of got away from them. They stayed on the edges. They stayed on the outside with the wide receivers. Atkins was always going to be the guy who was going to be a streamer, hit or miss type of player anyway. Uh, and he kind of just continues to be in that category. And somebody you're going to probably pass on coming out of the bye week when you see the Houston again uh, in week nine. We move on to the Green Bay Packers. And Aaron Rodgers did pretty much what we all expected him to do. Put that Tampa Bay game behind him. Come in. Get right. Show his dominance. It definitely helped that Aaron Jones wound up being knocked out of this game with a calf injury that's sustained in practice. Remember, the Packers are always going to be a little bit more uh, fantasy, not a little more fantasy, but a little bit more cautious, annoying fantasy owners to that degree. But that does mean that when Aaron Jones comes back next week, he is likely to be pretty close to 100%. So that's kind of the good news. You can trust that when these players play for the Green Bay Packers, they're actually healthy in doing so. But as a result to that, Aaron Rodgers' game, they let him take over in the passing attack, and the Green Bay Packers just came out and pretty much just punched the Houston Texans right in the mouth right off the bat. Aaron Rodgers, four touchdowns, 283 yards, and then followed that up with Jamal Williams, who was the pickup of the weekend the second everyone found out that there was a decent chance Aaron Jones was not going to play in this matchup. 
He comes away with a great fantasy day. 19 carries, 77 yards, a rushing touchdown at the end. It kind of wound up getting the rushing touchdown in garbage time, but did have four catches of 37 yards on five targets, which was the second leading receiver in this game. Because Devontae Adams ate it all. Ate it all. 13 catches, 196 yards, two touchdowns, 16 targets. This looks more like the performance that we saw back in week one, not what we saw last week. Again, you just put that Tampa Bay game behind you. Devontae Adams, from here on out, might be seeing the single highest target share of any wide receiver to his team. That could even include DeAndre Hopkins from Arizona for any team moving forward. He is on that. If as long as he can stay healthy, he could be a Michael Thomas level type of player from week eight on. Not that you're ever moving on from Devontae Adams or anything like that, but that is the kind of value that he brings. He shows you in this game why he is a superstar. Now, to go back to the running back situation real quickly, A.J. Dillon, the talk was like, oh, Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon were going to see a lot of work in this game, kind of suggesting there might be a split. There was no such split. A.J. Dillon saw five carries for 11 yards in this game. That was it. Jamal Williams was good. He was solid, four yards a carry. We knew that Jamal Williams would definitely lead the way in the passing attack because he is a very good pass blocker, and he already gets that role to some degree when Aaron Jones is even out there on the field to begin with. So my advice to you, if you picked up Jamal Williams and you're not the Aaron Jones owner, I would hold on to Jamal Williams this upcoming week. And unless the Aaron Jones owner is willing to make a trade with you for Jamal Williams to protect themselves, I'm holding on to him because it is a calf issue that Aaron Jones is dealing with. Now, it seemed like it was minor. It seemed like he really wanted to play kind of similar to the Devontae Adams situation. So there is a very good chance that not only is he back next week, but he's back at 100% next week. But as a soft tissue injury, something that could flare up, that did flare up in practice first and foremost, but could flare up again during practice, keep Jamal Williams on your rosters. Don't go ahead and drop him thinking that was just a one-week wonder. See them actually get through the practice and in case Aaron Jones flares up again because Jamal Williams is showing you with no Aaron Jones in the picture and the volume heading his way, especially because he gives you that floor in the passing game, he's a a high-end RB2 if Aaron Jones misses time. So I would hold on to him unless you can trade him for something of rest of season value to the Aaron Jones owner moving forward. The only other piece that I want to talk about here for the Green Bay Packers would be Robert Tanyan. He did, he was a top 10 streaming tight end for us this week, but unfortunately, because Devontae Adams just ate all the passing work, there was really no work left over for anybody else. He only had two targets on the game, two catches, 32 yards. I do believe that Robert, I should say Robert Tanyan, because apparently he corrected the media and said that that's actually how to pronounce his last name is Tanyan. I do believe he's still a streaming tight end moving forward. He has been involved. There, While there are a lot of games where I think Devontae Adams is going to see double-digit targets, I do think there's going to be other players besides Adams who actually get to see more than five targets in a, in a game moving forward as well. I think, Ton, I think Tunyon, Tunyon is going to be one of those guys, especially since Marquez Valdez-Scantling is not a thing. I mean, he at this point, you have to count Marquez Valdez-Scantling as, as a wide receiver five, who you hope maybe makes one play, perhaps, one play that he's able to catch a bomb off of because he was targeted four times in this game. He's done absolutely, and he's done really absolutely nothing, oddly enough, since Alan Lazard's been out. He finally moves into that wide receiver two role all by himself. We're going back and forth. Was Marquez Valdez-Scantling more valuable? Was Alan Lazard more valuable? He goes down, and instead of assuming those targets, he's been a non-factor. Even in the absence of Vontae Adams, he's been a non-factor. 
So I don't think Marquez Valdez-Scantling is somebody you need to own. Not that he's highly owned on your roster. Is why we're not going to hit the send him down the flush town drop. But the idea that you can maybe get some boom potential, hit a home run, he's not that guy because there's just no floor when it comes to Marquez Valdez-Scantling right now. So we're going to move on to the next game. We're going to move on to the Steelers and the Titans. This wound up being a crazy game. The Steelers were dominating this game. It looked like the Tennessee Titans were done in their tracks. They go into halftime, make adjustments, and all of a sudden, this was a ball game all the way to the end. Steelers ultimately wound up winning 27-24, to but this was very entertaining and for fantasy purposes, was very good. Ryan Tannehill was able to get you a high floor day. It wasn't pretty. He was under duress. Like I said, he was going to be a lot in this game. Not only is Taylor Lewan out for the rest of the year, but Isaiah Wilson, their first round tackle, wasn't able to play in this game either. So he was really dealing with two backup tackles against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That is a recipe for disaster. Is really how the Steelers got out to such a big lead in the first place. But he comes through with two touchdowns, only five yards on the ground, but he gives you a quarterback floor. If you had Ryan Tannehill, even though I had him ranked as QB 17 on the week, I told you guys on Thursday that I would still play Tannehill if you have Tannehill because I would not bother dropping a guy who's going to be a top 10 play for most of the season just to make way room for just this one week. Because the second you do that, someone else is going to pick up Ryan Tannehill and then you're going to be screwed. If you don't want to fall into the streaming territory of quarterbacks, you hold on to Ryan Tannehill. He's going to give you more top 10 performances than not. So it was nice to see him in this game be able to still give you a floor performance. The reason... He was able to give you a floor performance because the great, great game out of A.J. Brown. Six catches, 153 yards, and a touchdown on eight targets. Had a nice 73-yard gallop. It wasn't a bomb. He caught a eight-yard pass and turned it into a 73-yard touchdown. The guy is an athletic freak. They are so happy to have him back. Corey Davis was able to get himself on the scoreboard as well. He had six catches himself, 35 yards, a touchdown. But he had 10 targets. So it kind of goes to show you that with Corey Davis back in the lineup, even with A.J. Brown out there on the field, I guess he's still going to be a thing. Because what I found interesting was that they kept rotating Corey Davis in and out of the slot. They would kind of move him, move Adam Humphreys around a little bit. They weren't just lining him up on the perimeter the entire time. They were moving him around a little bit, using him as a safety blanket wide receiver. Now, I think more times than not, that'll be Adam Humphreys' role. But the fact is that Corey Davis is still a guy that I think you can consider being a wide receiver for moving forward, even with A.J. Brown back in the lineup. And we've been waiting for this because we haven't seen this rotation since week one. And the issue with this since week one has been that even in week one, we knew A.J. Brown got hurt in that game. So we haven't seen a true you know, game where we could take actual data out of to know what this split is actually supposed to be. And you know what? A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, as far as target share goes, we're pretty much 50-50 with Davis a little bit edging him out, but pretty much a 50-50 split. And Adam Humphreys was the odd man out in this ballgame with only three targets for one catch and 19 yards. Still remains somebody that is a wide receiver five at best for me and that I don't ever want to actually own or have to play. The only real disappointment was Janu Smith. One catch, nine yards, four targets. He did get targeted in the red zone. He did have it in both his hands. The defender made a nice play. If he could have brought it in, he would have had a much better uh, fantasy day. Janu Smith, don't worry about it. I know that he's had two frustrating weeks for you guys now in a row. Last week, he got hurt. But remember, Anthony Ferguson, he had a great game. This offense is still built around getting the tight end involved. Janu Smith, to me, is still a top five tight end given the landscape. 
He's still a top five tight end. Better days are ahead. Don't move on from Janu Smith just because he had a one-catch, nine-yard performance against the Pittsburgh Steelers of all teams. You're not going to hold that against him. The other player, of course, Derrick Henry coming off the big 200-yard performance. We knew he wasn't going to have that kind of game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, no running back has really had a good game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. In fact, I think Derrick Henry has now just had the best game against the Steelers that any running back has had so far this season, whether they're a lead or not. Comes in 75 yards, a touchdown. Did get two catches for negative three yards, but if you play in PPR, that wound up doing some good for you there. The big thing about Derrick Henry to take out of this game is that although they were down at one point 24-7 heading into half, they never, ever at any point abandoned the running game. Even in the second half, down by three scores, they still made sure that their offense revolved around Derrick Henry and play-action pass. And honestly, that's the biggest reason why they got back into this game. Because that's how Ryan Tannehill flourishes. That's how this offense flourishes. So that is something good of note that Derrick Henry continues to get this volume of work, which he has pretty much all season long. But that you know no matter what the game script is, that they're not going to ban the running game, which is crucial for a guy like Derrick Henry because he's not somebody who's going to give you a ton in the passing game. So you worry about him having that kind of floor if they run into situations where the game, the running game kind of gets written out. You could take it in this game. It never gets written out with Derrick Henry. That's what makes him such a safe, elite RB1. Now we flip on the other side to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Roethlisberger was up and down in this game. Started off really well. And then you kind of throw a couple of picks. It's another reason why the Tennessee Titans kind of found themselves getting back into this ball game. 268 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. And why he continues to be kind of a mid-level streamer and not a guy that you can expect a high ceiling out of. And he had a lot of volume in this game. He had 49 pass attempts. I think better days are ahead for Ben Roethlisberger. It was nice to see him out there with all of his weapons. But the big thing to take out of this is that his weapons were able to get involved. Deontay Johnson, 9 catches, 80 yards, 2 touchdowns, 15 targets. Like I said, when Deontay Johnson is on the field, he is the number one wide receiver. Now, he did leave in the fourth quarter. He got a little bit banged up. From what we understand, it was a, I think he's calling it a mild foot or a mild ankle injury. They The tone coming out of the weekend was that they expect him to be available against the Baltimore Ravens next week. Now, We've said that before about Deontay Johnson, though, where they've had a certain tone about him coming out of the week, and then that tone kind of changes in the upcoming days. However, he did wind up suiting up this game after all, and I would expect him to come back against Baltimore uh, next week as long as it's not anything major. That was the tone coming out of this one. Juju Smith-Schuster at least got himself involved in a heavy way in this one. Not a huge fantasy day unless you're in PPR leagues. Nine catches, 85 yards, 14 targets in this one. Only one less target than Deontay Johnson. But the big thing was that for the Schuster owners out there who have been sitting on a ledge because he hasn't even really been involved in the game plan seemingly, got more involved in this game and looked better and more involved with Deontay Johnson on the field. That was the crucial key there. That was the crucial key there. Now, what does it do for the other fantasy-relevant players in this one? Well, guess what? Chase Claypool, one catch, negative two yards. James Washington, one target. It's kind of the issue. I don't think you can play, and I talked about this heading into the matchup, I don't think you can trust to play either James Washington or Chase Claypool when both Deontay Johnson and Schuster are out there because those are the two wide receivers. And in this game, just like it had been all season long, 
Claypool and Washington were splitting snaps on the other side. Now, it's not to say that one of them can't have a good fantasy day when the other two are involved the way they were today. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. But what it does go to show you is that you can't trust it heading into a week. And if you're doing it, you're doing it purely on a boom or bust basis. And you're going to have a very low floor. And I talked about this going in. Chase Claypool, unfortunately, even though he should be ahead of James Washington playing in the ball game, playing as far as playing time and snaps and routes run and all that goes, he should be ahead of him. He's not. He splits time with James Washington when Deontay Johnson and Schuster are healthy. That's the issue. So you keep Claypool on your rosters. You keep James Washington on the waiver wire, but you cannot trust to play them unless somebody is hurt or if Claypool finally does establish himself ahead of James Washington when it comes to snap counts and routes run. And after the stretch that Claypool has had and he wasn't able to do it yet in this game, I don't exactly know when that's going to happen, frankly. It's unfortunate, but again, we talked about this. There is a fallacy when it comes to the logical reasoning with coaches of what you think they should do with certain players. James Conner was good in this game, not great. He could have had a great game. He had 20 carries for 82 yards, three catches, 29 yards. He dropped a touchdown. He should have had a receiving touchdown, and he had a touchdown get overturned on him. He could have easily had two touchdowns in this game to go along with his stat line. He continues to be healthy. He continues to be the bell cow. You continue to play James Conner as a mid-level RB2 because he's on a good offense that's giving him opportunities to score points. He will get more touchdowns ahead. I think we all understand that. So let's move on here to the Bills and the Jets. Guess what? The Jets scored in the first quarter for the first time all season. You know what was different this game compared to the other six games previously? Adam Gase finally gave up the play calling. Now, I'm not saying that means the Jets are going to turn a corner and all of a sudden their offense is going to be able to hum. No, 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 They still only put up 10 points total in this game. But it just kind of goes to show you that just that little change, the Jets look like a more competent team in this game. Their offense was able to keep the defense off the, off the field a little bit more. And really, a lot of credit needs to go to the Jets' defense and Greg Williams. Because they held this Buffalo Bills offense in check in this one. Now, Stephon Diggs did get a little bit banged up, but he did come back into the game ultimately. So I think he's going to be okay for next week. Still managed to get 11 targets in this game. Six catches, 48 yards. Not the performances you've grown to be used to, but if you take that 11 targets, you're like, okay, yeah. The volume is always just going to be there for Stephon Diggs. Whether he capitalizes or not is a different story. I know against the Jets with him not capitalizing is definitely 
100% disappointing. I, I understand that. Cole Beasley was the one who wound up with the big game. 11 catches, 112 yards, 12 targets. He is somebody that you have to consider to be a high-end wide receiver for that you can kind of plug in, in your flex, in your buy-ins, stuff like that, of that nature, when John Brown is out. Because he's also going to be the second targeted wide receiver whenever John Brown is out. That was pretty much what we learned from this game. Gabriel Davis is somebody who had been heavily involved when John Brown goes out as well. Three targets, one catch, 11 yards. He could have had a touchdown in this game too. It got called back to the penalty. So he kind of did get involved the way you expect him to. I think he actually is when John Brown's not there. He is a home run threat. He's a wide receiver for boomer bust option, especially when we're talking about these heavy bye weeks when you're looking through these injuries and stuff like that. He's somebody of note in a deep league as a sleeper play. Nothing I'm rushing out to the waiver wire for, but a name to note while John Brown is out. As far as the running game goes, Zach Moss was the better running back. Now, Devin Singletary still got one more carry than he did, but Zach Moss had one more reception. They wound up with the exact same amount of touches at the end of the day, and Zach Moss was a, very, was a much better running back. Three catches, 25 yards to Devin Singletary, two catches to 18, and then seven carries for 47 yards to Devin Singletary's eight for 29. If you could not get a good game out of Devin Singletary... I don't know when you're going to be able to play him this season. And now it looks like they've come back around to Zach Moss and Singletary splitting the snaps, not to mention that the actual lead rusher on the day was Josh Allen for 11 attempts for 61 yards. I don't think you can trust a Buffalo Bills running back right now. Now, I do think you need to own Singletary, but I don't think you need to play him. And Zach Moss, only if you have a roster spot that you don't care about burning, are you owning or are you owning Zach Moss? Until someone establishes themselves in this backfield, I don't know how you play either one of them unless it's a desperate situation. This was the New York Jets. And they still didn't get the running game going. They still had no emphasis to do so. Part of that was because they actually had to come back from behind in this game, and part of that was because their offense was horrendous. Because even though in the stat line, from a fantasy perspective, Josh Allen wasn't bad. He wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. Went over 300 yards. He didn't turn the ball over. He did tack on 61 rushing yards. So your fantasy stat line is going to look okay. But he didn't play good. This is the third week in a row where he truly did not play well. That's an issue. And I feel pretty confident that I can come out of the woodwork again and say that Josh Allen is what I thought he was coming into the season, what I thought he had been this entire time leading up to this point, which is a playmaker but not a true quarterback. His fundamentals have gotten inconsistent again, and that's the big issue. So while, like I said, his stat line is going to look okay, I am seriously concerned, especially in this game, a game that should have been a get-right game for Josh Allen, a third week in a row where he just did not play well, downright. Now, because of the Jets, he didn't have to play well for them to win. And it was all field goals. I mean, the, the Bills did not score one touchdown against the New York Jets. I think that tells you all you need to know. Are you going to continue to play Josh Allen as a top 10 quarterback, top 6 quarterback? Yeah, absolutely. Because, again, 11 carries for 61 yards. He's going to always have a huge floor because of his rushing attack. From a fantasy standpoint, Josh Allen is going to continue to be gold. This is still his offense. They threw the ball 43 times in this game. The volume of the passing attack along with the rushing attack, I'm not saying from a fantasy standpoint I'm worried about Josh Allen moving forward. I'm worried about it from an NFL standpoint and... Those big games that you were getting, I wonder how many of those you're going to get the rest of the way. 
That's just my two cents. But nothing else to really talk about in this game, so we move on to the Ohio Bowl, which was another high-scoring affair, and I felt really bad for Joe Burrow. He did everything he possibly could to try to get the Bengals to win this. I mean, everything he possibly could for the Bengals to win this game. Everything he possibly could. 35 completions on 47 attempts, over 400 yards, three touchdowns, one pick, 34 yards on the ground along with a rushing touchdown. Joe Burrow, he's a top 12 quarterback. He's going to at least hover in that area. Is it going to be a little bit matchup dependent? Yes. And it's a little bit matchup dependent because of that Cincinnati Bengals offensive line. And when they face teams like the Baltimore Ravens, they face teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm not going to want Joe Burrow out there because he's just going to get demolished in those games. But in games in which, like this against Cleveland Browns, that you can expect them to at least be competitive and you can expect Joe Burrow to not get teed off on all the time, the offense is throwing through him and he's making plays and he's putting up statistics. That's why he's going to hover around that top 12 quarterback section, especially while Joe Mixon's out. Now we're going to talk about that a little bit. He got ruled out on Friday after after the Friday show, but as long as you were following us on Twitter at BellyUpMDFFShow, you got that player news update notification pretty early on. Because he was ruled out on Friday, and because even to this day, we're now a week later here, we still have not gotten really any actual clarification on what exactly the foot injury is, I would be willing to bet that they will hold him out until after their bye in Week 9. Meaning, I don't believe Joe Mixon's going to play in Week 8. I think we're going to see him back in Week 10. He's considered week-to-week now after he was considered day-to-day, according to Zach Taylor on Friday morning, then by Friday night, he was week-to-week. I think they're going to hold him out until Week 10, after their bye week, which means you're going to get another week out of Giovanni Bernard. And he came through for you in this one. It wasn't pretty on the ground. And you know what? It's probably not going to be pretty on the ground because, again, that offensive line is dreadful. And they actually lost Jonah Williams today. We're going to have to see if he's out for any length of time, too. 13 carries, 37 yards. But Bernard does what he does best. Five catches, 59 yards, touchdown on five targets. It's the receiving game for Bernard. It's the fact that he is going to be the bell cow when Joe Mixon's not there. And therefore, he offers you a high floor because of what he's going to offer you in the receiving game. And Joe Burrow, I mean, not only does he spread the ball all around to begin with, but he will check it down. Bernard comes through with a uh, receiving touchdown in this one. So he wound up giving you a very good fantasy day, and you continue to play him as an RB2 next week when Joe Mixon, unfortunately, doesn't suit up, because I don't see that happening. Now, as far as the wide receivers go, I went into this game, I wanted to see it. Were they going to stick with the strategy that we saw from week six? In other words, was A.J. Green going to continue to run the Robert Woods routes? Was T. Higgins going to continue to run the Brandon Cooks routes? And as a result, what kind of volume you were going to get, that stayed true. A.J. Green should have had a touchdown in this one. He wound up dropping it. His stat line would have looked even better. But he had 13 targets. That was tied with Tyler Boyd in this game. And that was the most on the team. Seven catches, 82 yards. That's two games in a row now where he's gone over seven catches. A.J. Green is somebody who's worked himself back into high-volume wide receiver three territory. And it's going to consistently be high volume because this Bengals team is going to consistently come back from behind because their defense is atrocious. So he's worked himself back into wide receiver three volume. He's worked himself back into a spot where you should own him. 
If he's available in your waiver wire leagues, and I know he's available in a lot of them out there, we'll see when the waiver wire report you know show comes when we record that late tomorrow night. So it's available for you guys Tuesday morning. We'll see where his ownership share is at. But if he's out there, he's somebody who's going to be worth picking up, especially as we go through these bye weeks. Tyler Boyd, of course, was the big guy on the day. 11 catches, 101 yards, a touchdown. I told you guys last week, better days were ahead for Tyler Boyd. He's the most dependable wide receiver of the Cincinnati Bengals on a week-to-week basis. T. Higgins, he's also a wide receiver three with a little bit more upside than an A.J. Green is, but also in that wide receiver three territory. Five catches, 71 yards. He does catch a touchdown in this one. It was on five targets, though. Last week, he was the third in targets when it came to A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd. He was again this week. So he has to continue to execute in order to give you these stat lines moving forward, something to watch, but definitely something, buddy, to own. Definitely somebody that you can play because of the volume that's getting spread around right now. We move over to the Cleveland Browns side of the things. Baker Mayfield had his first really great game of the year. Good game, fantasy game. 22 of 28, 297 yards, five touchdowns, interception. And that was with OBJ going down early in this one. He was out in the first quarter, and he's going to get an MRI on his knee. If you follow us on Twitter, at BellyUpMDFFShow, we'll keep you up to date on that. I suspect that we will hear more information about that throughout Monday and get an idea on exactly what kind of injury we're looking at here when it comes to OBJ. In his absence, nobody was really crazy targeted. Rashard Higgins and Jarvis Landry led the way. They both had six targets. Harrison Bryant, who came in for the injured Austin Hooper, not David Njoku, had five targets, four catches, 56 yards, and two touchdowns. Does this mean that Harrison Bryant is going to be a streaming tight end until Austin Hooper comes back, which is reportedly not until week 10? Yeah, most likely. Whether it's been David Njoku's attitude, whether it's been the fit inside the offensive system, whatever the case may be, Harrison Bryant has been somebody who's been playing a little bit behind Austin Hooper when David Njoku was out to begin with. He was already somebody who was targeted in the red zone before this game. Harrison Bryant, although he won't be, don't get too excited because he's not going to be somebody we suddenly put inside of our top 10 or will be our top streamer of the week next week. But he is somebody who's going to be in the conversation. He is somebody who's going to be on the waiver wire report. I can guarantee you that. Because he played well ahead of David Njoku in this one, who did wind up with a touchdown in his own right, but only two catches, 20 yards on three targets, and he was significantly outsnapped by the rookie Harrison Bryant, who just offers good red zone ability. And then on top of it, now that OBJ is going to be out, and from what we could tell, We'll probably miss at least a few weeks until we find out more. Harrison Bryant's going to be leaned on in the red zone, I believe, as far as the pass catchers are concerned. So he's somebody who is going to be a streaming option moving forward. Just something to kind of keep your eye out on. Rashad Higgins, six catches, 110 yards, and six targets in this game. Even with no OBJ, I believe that moving forward, the game script is going to be getting Jarvis Landry a ton of targets. Back to what this team was, frankly, before OBJ came along, which was Jarvis Landry getting about 8 to 10 targets every single week. That's how this is going to be, which means Rashad Higgins, he's, he's a wide receiver four. Will he be playing more? Will he be targeted more? Sure. But it's not a player that you're excited about from a fantasy perspective. He's been in these situations where he's had the opportunity to be in a significant role and still has not really produced on a consistent basis. 
Kareem Hunt comes home through with, with a solid game. Not a great game. Against Cincinnati Bengals, you're maybe hoping something along the lines of what Nick Chubb did, then, did to them the first time around, which was you know 27 carries, two touchdowns, 100 yards. Does get a nice, solid four-yard carry efficient day, 18 carries, 76 yards, but winds up with three catches, 26 yards, and, of course, the receiving touchdown, which is why he still turns in a pretty solid day. But I have to say, Kareem Hunt is not the top five running back that I think we all kind of expected him to be with Nick Chubb out. I mean, we expected an elite RB1 performance because it was this system with just Kareem Hunt, who has looked very good. And we know that if he's getting all the carry work and all the receiving work in a Stavansky system, well, Dalvin Cook numbers were what were looked at. That hasn't really been the case. And this was a matchup where that, that should have been available to him. Now, the, on the flip side, the good news, Dearness Johnson's not a thing. Continues to not be a thing. Now, Nick Chubb, the Browns do have a bye in Week 9. There is a possibility that Nick Chubb will be back Week 10. So just kind of keep that in mind. Kareem Hunt will continue to be somebody who can be played as a high-end flex play, low-end RB2, because he'll still be involved in the offense. He's not going anywhere. He's still going to be involved in the passing game. But your hopes of him turning in top five performances really get limited to possibly just next week, week eight. Because then they have to buy in week nine. And like I said, Chubb could be back week 10, week 11. So just something to kind of keep in mind, but you're going to continue to play Kareem Hunt no matter what. And just to recap on Baker Mayfield, no, this does not make him a streaming option moving forward. So don't, don't get overly excited there one way or another either. We'll move on to the Carolina Panthers, New Orleans Saints. Of course, the narrative coming into this game was the disappointment behind Michael Thomas not being able to play. And then we get a news report saying that it's not a lock that Michael Thomas can come back in Week 8 either. Because he did not really practice much at all after sustaining the hamstring injury in practice early on in the week, this is a real issue he's had to deal with. It's not something that they were just being cautious about. And now all of a sudden, his week eight status is going to be up in the air. Now, I told you guys last week, if you have hung on to Michael Thomas to this point, stay strong. I will add a caveat to that analysis. That is still my analysis for the majority of the population that owns Michael Thomas. But I will add a caveat in there that I didn't think about when I talked about this in the first place and will probably ring a little bit more true now that he's somebody who might miss week eight again. If you're a team that you are struggling, you are sub 500, and we are now, after this week seven, we are now on the other side of the midway point of your fantasy football season. We are getting into the nitty-gritty. We are getting into the playoff push now. If you feel like you need to trade Michael Thomas to get your team back into playoff contention or be able to get stronger within playoff contention, then I'm okay doing it as long as you get a good deal, obviously. As long as you get good value. Are you going to get dollar for dollar on Michael Thomas? No, absolutely not. You spend your first-round pick on him. You're not going to get that back. But if you can get... 75 cents on the dollar for Michael Thomas. I might contemplate doing that deal if I'm 2-5 and five after this week, if I'm 3-4, and four. something along those lines. If you have a winning record and you have Michael Thomas, I would say stay strong. Because even if he does miss week 8, I think he comes back in week 9. The thing to remember about the Saints is that their bye week is out of the way. So once he's back, you don't have to worry about losing him to a bye week and having to replace him again. 
But if you can get 75 cents on the dollar and you're in a you're sub 500 and you're just trying to get your way back in the playoff contention, I would contemplate moving Michael Thomas in that specific situation. Now, to actually get into this game here, Drew Brees, he came through still, nonetheless, 287 yards, two touchdowns, played a clean game. Marquez Callaway, the target leader on the day, eight catches, 75 yards with 10 targets. Alvin Kamara, of course, was very much involved in the passing attack like you would expect him to be. Eight catches, 65 yards on eight targets. Traquan Smith, who was probably the hot pickup of the week, four catches, 54 yards on four targets. Yeah, this is disappointing. Look, Trey Quans was somebody was to me that I think you had to pick up. I think you had to play him as a wide receiver three. The matchup made sense. The possible game script made sense. The opportunity made sense. But Trey Quan Smith just continues to be a guy. He's nothing special. And I don't think you need to play him. I do think if Sanders and Michael Thomas are going to miss again, I think he's somebody rosterable for now. Because Marquez Callaway, I mean, this was his first game. This is the first we're kind of seeing of him. I'm not going to run off the ship and say he's definitely the lead guy over Traquan Smith based on one game. But it definitely doesn't leave you with any kind of feeling that you can actually play Traquan Smith, even, even possibly next week. But sometimes I like the roster guys just to keep them, just to keep options off the table for other players out there. So it depends on what situation you're in. But I'm not going to blame you if you feel like, why why own a guy that you can't play? Or why own a guy that you feel like you can't play? This was his game to get right. This was his game. This was his opportunity. He didn't take advantage of it. Jared Cook comes in, three catches, 32 yards, touchdown on four targets. He continues to be a touchdown-dependent top 12 tight end, like so many others. Kind of thought he'd get targeted a little bit more. Now, this was his first game back off of injury. That had something to do with it. But I thought he could maybe get targeted a little bit more considering the situation. He still gets the touchdown, though. You continue to play Jared Cook as a top 12 tight end if you have him. I don't feel like I have to stream at the position, which is, I mean, honestly, in some ways, is saying a lot right now for a lot of people. We talked about Kamara in the passing game. He tacked on 14 carries for 83 yards. Had a lot of yards from scrimmage. Didn't score. It's been a couple of games since Alvin Kamara has scored. That means he's due in the next upcoming weeks. He's probably going to get one or two touchdown games in the next few weeks upcoming. One of the safest RB1s out there. Latavius Murray still continued to get his share. 11 carries, 47 yards. He did tack on a catch here. He's somebody, because of his volume, he actually finds his way into RB3 territory more times than not. Now, I like him more if you're in standard leagues, for sure. Because he doesn't. he's not going to give you anything in the passing game. That, that's all Alvin Kamara. But because of his volume, I mean... Look, if you've been somebody who's been stuck playing Mark Ingram in your flex, Latavius Murray's more valuable. He's getting more work. And when Michael Thomas possibly missing week eight, as long as Michael Thomas is out, I don't expect the way in which they use Kamara and Murray to change. We move on to the Carolina Panthers. Teddy Bridgewater putting in a nice performance here. 23 of 28, 254 yards, two touchdowns. A nice bomb touchdown there to DJ Moore where it was just an absolute blown coverage by the safety. I mean, D.J. Moore was left all by himself down the field when he scored on that 74-yard touchdown. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Four catches, 93 yards. Last three weeks, he's gotten four catches for either 93 or 94 yards. And he's been scoring on top of it. That's the crazy part. He's been scoring. He had two touchdowns in this one. My big knock on DJ Moore was the fact that he's not a guy who poses a threat to score a lot. Now, again, he did have one touchdown in the red zone. But I think that was his first touchdown in the red zone of the season in today's game. All of his other touchdowns, and I believe he has four now, I've all come outside on big plays. So it's not something that is sustainable. And it's why I'm going to reiterate this again, and probably going to continue to reiterate it. Sell DJ more high. He only had five targets in this game. Robbie Anderson had eight. Six catches, 74 yards. Doesn't have the big impressive day overall, but still was the lead target on the day. DJ Moore still only had five targets this is a good offense, and I do believe that DJ Moore is a low-end wide receiver too, for sure. But I think a lot of this production we've seen over the past few weeks isn't necessarily sustainable. Now, to some degree it is because they get to play teams in the, in the NFC South. But it worries me to see DJ Moore doing well off of five targets because I know that's something that typically he needs 10 targets to do. Mike Davis was a nothing in the running game. Now, I know the Saints aren't the easiest team to run on, but seven carries for 12 yards. Ooh, brutal. Absolutely brutal. Five catches, 24 yards. If you're in a full-point PPR league, he gave you a floor. But what in what was possibly his last game as a guy that you were plugging and playing as a high-end RB2, he did not come through for you at all. Christian McCaffrey might be back this Thursday. Might be. If you have Mike Davis and you don't have Christian McCaffrey, you know, stay hold. Because... Since this game is a Thursday night game, there is the possibility they may choose to wait until week nine to bring Chris McCaffrey back. They talked about that. So it's not a given that he'll be back against the Atlanta Falcons in week eight. They said it's a possibility, but not a given. So we're going to have to wait. You're going to have to follow us on social media at Show to stay up to date on that. But there is a chance that Mike Davis might get one more shot as a high-end RB2 this week before Christian McCaffrey comes back. Possibly. Now, I'll, I'll talk about that too. DJ Moore, if you have him and you're like, well, can I wait till after the Atlanta game? Yeah, because there's probably a pretty good chance he's going to have a good game against Atlanta. So more, the more weeks he has, if that's you know, a month consecutive of him giving you good performances, then that's just that much more you'll be able to sell him for. So I am okay with you keeping him through the Atlanta game on, th- on Thursday night for sure. Teddy Bridgewater is going to be a top streaming option. Robbie Anderson is going to be a great play. I mean, Mike Davis, if he is the guy, he'll be a great play as well. So let's move on to the Lions and the Falcons. Which team was going to implode? That was the question on the week when it came to this game. Which team 
that had the lead in the fourth quarter was going to be the one that imploded because both of these teams do it. And with a minute, about a minute left, the Atlanta Falcons were the team that imploded. Who would have thought that Todd Gurley scoring a touchdown would be the reason the Atlanta Falcons would lose the game? Because he didn't fall short enough, because he did. At the last second, he's about to score. He's like, oh, wait, I should fall down and we win. And instead, he fell right, right at the end zone line, right there, crossed the plane, wound up scoring a touchdown, gave Matthew Stafford a shot, and he took advantage. He took advantage. Unbelievable. They won this game 23-22, all because Todd Gurley scored a touchdown. That's why the Falcons lost the game. Absolutely incredible. Matt Ryan was good in this game. Not great. It wasn't the performance that we had last week, but he was good in this game. 338 yards, a touchdown. Big thing was there was no turnovers. So again, I mean, as long as Julio Jones continues not to play, uh, continues to play, Matt Ryan continues to be a top 12 quarterback. Julio in this one, eight catches, 97 yards on nine targets. The lead guy on the day, Calvin Ridley, five catches, 69 yards and a touchdown. Both guys, you know, obviously going to be must plays moving forward. Russell Gage got a little bit banged up in this game, came back in. He had seven catches, six, uh, I'm sorry, seven targets, six catches, 54 yards. Russell Gage is not somebody you need to own. Russell Gage, look, I know a lot of people got excited about him after week one, but remember what happened in that week one. Hayden Hurst wasn't involved. Hayden Hurst has been increasingly involved over the past few weeks since Julio Jones has come back into the lineup. He had seven targets in this one, six catches, 68 yards. While that's not a huge stat line, that's a solid stat line out of a tight end. And it's also, I believe, the third week in a row now where he's seen five to seven targets. I've talked about this before. If you're getting that kind of volume out of a tight end, I don't think you're in a position where you need to stream. Will he be a borderline top 12 guy? Yeah, sure. Not necessarily in the top 10 unless he scores a touchdown. But I'll take a tight end who's seeing that kind of volume as a guy that at least I don't have to worry about. So Russell Gage, he's kind of capped by the fact that I think Hayden Hurst is starting to come on more and more over the past few weeks. We talked about Todd Gurley, how his touchdown led to the Falcons' loss. Well, it might have led to your fantasy win because he had two touchdowns on the day. He does bring in two receptions, 19 yards on three targets, so he was a little bit involved in the passing game, which continues to be the question each and every week to maintain his floor even if he doesn't score. But in this one, two touchdowns was a great fantasy option for you. And we knew it was a possibility against the Detroit Lions that he would be able to do this. It wasn't efficient on the day. 23 carries, 63 yards, only 2.7 yards a carry. But you play Todd Gurley to score touchdowns, and that's what he has done so far this season. You continue to play him as such, especially in these plus matchup games that they have in front of them. Matthew Stafford came through, not quite came through for me because I did have him as a top five quarterback and I didn't get that performance out of him. But if you picked him up and streamed him because I was touting him as a top streamer of the week, he still came through for you. 340 yards, a touchdown, still got 20 points for you. Did have a fumble, so he lost a little bit there. The running game, that's what everybody wanted to know. The running game, what was going to happen? Was DeAndre Swift now going to take the lead? Well, from a volume standpoint, Adrian Peterson still had two more carries than DeAndre Swift and two more yards, 29-27. I will say what I did like is that when they got inside the red zone, that was where DeAndre Swift's touchdown came from in this day. Had a goal line touchdown. So it wasn't automatically just handing it over to Adrian Peterson. This looks like as of right now, 
it is a 50-50 split as far as carries are concerned. Now, of course, DeAndre Swift dominates the receptions. They had four catches, 21 yards on five targets in this game, which is what gives him the lead as the most valuable back on Detroit. But because they're not doing this in a situational basis anymore where they're not automatically giving the ball to Adrian Peterson when they get inside the five, because that's what happened today. Well, now all of a sudden, DeAndre Swift may be, I don't know, two more good games away from taking this backfield. Now, he won't own it in the sense of he'll be the full-on bell cow where he's seeing 18 carries to Adrian Peterson's five or anything like that. It could wind up turning into a 60-40 split at some point. But DeAndre Swift is somebody who is a turning into a must-RB3, high in RB3, low in RB2 type of guy, a must-flex play starter, if you will. He is turning into that guy. It wasn't a huge stat line, but it was the volume, and it came out of... It stayed consistent from what we saw a week ago, where he didn't just disappear. They didn't turn around and hand it off to Adrian Peterson. But on the flip side, he didn't take over yet either. Kenny Galladay goes six catches, 114 yards on seven targets. I mean, the only thing he didn't do for you is score in this game. They continue to get right. Remember, Kenny Galladay is still got off to a slow start this year because of the injury. He's getting more and more healthy, more, more closer to his actual game shape. He looked much better physically in this game. Marvin Jones was actually involved to some degree, or at least he looked like he had a pulse anyway. Five catches, 80 yards on six targets. Not a thing at all for fantasy football purposes. A wide receiver, a low-end wide receiver four at most. He still hasn't scored a touchdown yet this year. This was the most alive he has looked all season long, and it came against the best matchup that you could frankly possibly have which doesn't leave me with a ton of confidence that he's somehow going to turn a corner. TJ Hawkinson is the guy who scores the game-winning touchdown. Five catches, 59 yards, a touchdown, six targets. Is he going to be the number two tight end that I ranked him to be on the week? No. But he was still very good. He was still very solid. He's still somebody who gets targeted quite a bit in the end zone. I said that between the 20s, it wasn't always going to be pretty because he's still not getting targeted a lot in that area of the field. But he does gets sought after by Matthew Stafford in the red zone. And that's all that really matters for tight end position. He's been somebody who's been a consistent top 12 tight end for you guys so far this season. Now we have to get into the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington Football Club. We got to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. So obviously, Andy Dalton gets knocked out of this game. Everyone saw it. It was a, a late, cheap, nasty hit. If there is a silver lining... It's that he suffered a concussion, which, if he can get through the protocol, does not necessarily mean that he will definitely miss next week, if there is a silver lining. The unfortunate reality is, whether Andy Dalton is that quarterback or not, the question is, does it matter? Because he was only 9 for 19 on 75 yards and a pick against Washington before getting knocked out of this game. Ezekiel Elliott was bad. 12 carries, 45 yards, one catch, six yards. C.D. Lamb goosed you. Michael Gallup, who a lot of people I don't think are playing in their lineups anymore anyway, goosed you. Dalton Schultz, two catches, 22 yards, a common streaming tight end. Not for me, but common out there. The only player who gave you a normal-ish performance was Amari Cooper. Seven catches, 80 yards, seven targets. It clearly does not matter who's that quarterback, because even when... Uh, ben DiNucci came in. 
he was still his two his two completions were to Amari Cooper. I I have a hard time believing Ben DiNucci is going to be the starting quarterback next week. I have a hard time believing that. I think you're going to see the Cowboys look around the market, see who they can bring in as a veteran presence to compete. And like I said, I still think there's an outside shot that Andy Dalton could possibly suit up next week as well. Here's my fantasy analysis for you. Obviously, Ezekiel Elliott is still an RB1, but he might not be a top three RB1. It's not just the quarterback play that you have to worry about. It's not the Dallas Cowboys play you have to worry about. It's the fact that this offensive line is just in shambles because they're too injured. Until guys start coming back off an of injury, it's going to be rough for the Cowboy offense in general, putting Zeke in bad situations. He'll still be an RB1. Better days are definitely ahead. But I think there can be a conversation, there can be a question mark, is he a top three or four running back right now? Given the situation of the Dallas Cowboys. I think that question, I think that question, I think that discussion can be had. He's still an RB1. I think as long as Amari Cooper goes, he's going to be the guy who's going to get the most targeted out of anybody. He's the most sure thing in this Dallas Cowboy offense. He can continue to be played as a high-end wide receiver too at worst, no matter who the quarterback is, because this offense's passing attack flows through Omari Cooper getting targeted in the short-intermediate range. And I would also like to go on record and say, can we finally please throw out this reputation, this perception that Omari Cooper is inconsistent? He's only had one bad game this year. One. One. With all the turmoil around the Dallas Cowboys and the offense and the quarterback situation. One bad game. Is even able to show up in a game in which the Dallas Cowboys only scored three points against Washington. Now, it's not a crazy stat line, but seven catches for 80 yards, you're going to live with that. It didn't lose you the week. Still gave you a wide receiver two performance. I just want that perception thrown out about Amari Cooper. And I I was talking about that in the offseason. So since he became a Dallas Cowboy, as long as he's been healthy and on the field, he has not been inconsistent. I don't count the decoy games. So let's throw that out. I am worried about C.D. Lamb. We already kind of moved on from Michael Gallup for the most part at this point. I am worried about C.D. Lamb. Am I ready to send him down to Flushtown? No. No, I'm not. Do I think, depending on whether Andy Dalton's able to play next week, am I going to question whether or not I can even play C.D. Lamb? Yes. Yes, I am. It's unfortunate, but it's where we're at right now. Honestly, taking away from a fantasy standpoint real quick and going into more of a reality NFL view, analysis, if you will, I think the Cowboys have to fire Mike McCarthy and fire him right now. Fortunately, because it's the NFC East and the situation that they are all in, right now the Eagles, the Cowboys, and Washington all have two wins. Now, the Eagles are technically in first place because they had the tie instead of the fifth loss you're still technically in contention for the division. You're still technically in contention for the playoffs. This team is quitting on Mike McCarthy, period. It's already happened. What's sad is that it's already happened within seven games of the guy even being the head coach. This team is quitting on Mike McCarthy. And I'm going to say something in defense of Kellen Moore. I know Kellen Moore is technically the guy calling plays. Kellen Moore is not calling his plays. He's not calling his playbook. His playbook is what we saw last year when there was actually motion. Guys getting mismatches. Creative play calling. We are seeing the Mike McCarthy offense that got him fired out of Green Bay in the first place. That has been 20 years outdated to this point. If I'm Jerry Jones, 
and this isn't going to happen, and I'm just going to, I'm just throwing this out there. If I'm Jerry Jones and firing Mike McCarthy, I'm making Kellen Moore the head coach and saying, do what you need to do. Mike McCarthy can't be the guy. This team can't quit when it's in contention for first place in the division within seven games of the season. And that's what they're doing. That's what they did. That's what they have done the past two weeks now. It's atrocious, especially when you have that amount of talent on the Dallas Cowboys. We move on to the Washington side of the football. Terry McLaurin, seven catches, 90 yards, and a touchdown. I said he was due for a touchdown. Got a 52-yard touchdown at that. Finally, finally got the big play, which is what he needs. Now, Kyle Allen was still mediocre, 15-25, 194 yards, two touchdowns in this one. But as long as Terry McLaurin continues to see double-digit targets, which he has, Terry McLaurin continues to be a guy who could be played as a high-end wide receiver, too. Logan Thomas did have a nice game in this one. Four catches, 60 yards, a touchdown, and four targets. He's still not a guy who's in the streaming territory for me. I still only think there's one pass catcher that you can trust on a week-to-week basis, and that name is Terry McLaurin. Antonio Gibson... Got the work in this one and produced 20 carries, 128 yards, and a touchdown. J.D. McKissick was not that much of a thing. But let's keep in mind here, Washington was in a game script that they're not going to find themselves in very often this season, where they were actually ahead from start to finish. What we get to see now is that when they're in pro game scripts like this, Antonio Gibson will be the guy. J.D. McKissick will not be on the field nearly as much. But this is not going to be the norm. This is not going to be what they normally find themselves in. So you have to keep that in mind. So while Antonio Gibson had a great game in this one, this does not mean that all of a sudden J.D. McKissick will no longer be a thing moving forward. This does not mean that he took over the backfield that he should be played as an RB2 moving forward. It does not mean that. So I want to make sure your fantasy expectations are in line with reality. Let's move on. Let's talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's talk about the Las Vegas Raiders. Let's talk about Tom Brady. 369 yards and four touchdowns. Now, this is a Raiders defense, especially without Jonathan Abram, that you should be able to take advantage of. But think about this. 369 yards and four touchdowns, and they are, are about to add Antonio Brown into the mix. Now, what kind of fantasy impact Antonio Brown can have, what kind of impact he can have this Tampa Bay Buccaneer team, and how long it will take to have that impact is really anybody's guess. Anybody who tells you they know the answer is lying to you. Is Antonio, was Antonio Brown probably one of the hottest pickup names of the weekend? Yeah, 100%. And I'm fine taking a shot on him if you had a roster spot to burn to get him. I get that. I get all that. What my main effect that I will give you guys the analysis for today and probably will give you the analysis for again next week is how does it affect Mike Evans and Chris Godwin? Well, Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin are pretty similar players in what the routes that they are going to be running. I think they're going to be kind of interchangeable. I think one's going to line up in the slot, one on one up on the perimeter, and they'll kind of switch each other inside and out, kind of like what Antonio Brown did with Juju Smith-Schuster. And what you remember from that is both of them got to eat. I believe Godwin and Antonio Brown will both get to eat. The guy who might get left out, at least on a consistent basis, will be Mike Evans. He's already been a touchdown-dependent wide receiver, too, to this point anyway. If he's going to lose the, he's going to lose extra targets, something that he has been inconsistent in getting already to this point to begin with, I really worry about what the impact of Antonio Brown might have on Mike Evans' fantasy value. 
And while he only had a two-catch 37-yard performance, and you're not going to have much to sell him off of, if you can sell Mike Evans for 80 to 90 cents on the dollar, I would do it. I wouldn't just throw him away, but I would look to sell Mike Evans while you have the chance. Because we might be heading into a situation where we don't know when we're going to be able to trust to play him. We might be looking at a guy who is a big play or bust, a touchdown or bust guy who we hope gets five to six targets in the game. That's just assuming Antonio Brown plays the role in which I envision him playing when he comes to Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, how soon that will take, like I said, I don't know. Nobody knows. But I am worried about Mike Evans. I'm not too worried about Chris Godwin. I am worried about Mike Evans. Scotty Miller, six catches, 109 yards, and a touchdown on nine targets today. The role that Scotty Miller played in this game against the Las Vegas Raiders, that is the role that Antonio Brown will play when he joins the team. Just to kind of give you, if you want to go back and look at this game, that's what you can envision Antonio Brown trying to do for this team. What happened today? Two targets for Mike Evans. That's what I would be worried about. Chris Godwin had a nice game, nine catches, 88 yards, a touchdown, nine targets. He will be the short intermediate guy more times than not. He'll be the Schuster to Antonio Brown. That's how I believe this offense is going to go. Rob Gronkowski. Hey, Rob Gronkowski, welcome back to being a top 12 tight end on a weekly basis. Because you are now. Five catches, 62 yards, a touchdown, eight targets. He's consistently getting targeted in the red zone. He's consistently getting more than six targets a game. So that puts him right there as a tight end that you can go ahead, play, trust, and everything else and be happy about. And I don't believe that Antonio Brown is going to be an issue at all for Rob Gronkowski. So if you were lucky enough to pick him up, I don't think you have to stream at the tight end position anymore. That's the good news. I mean, except for the Buccaneers bye, which I believe comes up uh, now off the top of my head, I believe in week nine. The thing we do guys have to talk about with Tampa Bay. It's what I warned you guys about coming into the game. It's why I begged you. I pleaded with MD Nation. Hopefully you took my advice. Sell Ronald Jones while you had the chance. If you played him in this one, he did save your fantasy day because he was able to score a touchdown at the end of it. 13 carries, only 34 yards. Guess what Leonard Fournette did fully healthy? 11 carries for 50 yards. I told you guys coming into this, this is not Ronald Jones' backfield. They brought Leonard Fournette in for a reason. Leonard Fournette is the superior talent. Leonard Fournette is who they want to take over this backfield at some point. And that Ronald Jones is on a short leash. The big difference here between the two players was that Ronald Jones was not involved in the passing game. Two targets, one catch, two yards. Leonard Fournette was. Six catches, 47 yards on seven targets. He was heavily involved. And I talked about this too. He is the superior passing down back when it comes to blocking, when it comes to receiving. And that's why Ronald Jones was never going to be safe. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. 
And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Hopefully you moved on from Ronald Jones. If not, you're going to be stuck in a situation now from here on out where you're not going to feel comfortable playing a Tampa Bay Buccaneer running back, period. And I think sooner rather than later, the guy who's going to be leading the way is Leonard Fournette. Now that he's healthy. So something to kind of keep your eye on, but this was what I worried about for Ronald Jones owners to begin with. Move on to the Raiders' side of the ball. Derek Carr here was only okay. We didn't expect him to have a good game against Tampa Bay to begin with. He actually had a better game, honestly, than I thought he was going to have. 284 yards and two touchdowns. Did get one to Nelson Aguilar, who nobody was going to be streaming this week against Tampa Bay, but did get one to Darren Waller, who does matter, and is a top-six tight end every single week. Six catches, 50 yards, touchdown on nine targets, continues to be a top receiver for them. Henry Ruggs, two catches, 35 yards, three targets. I don't think this was a game that many people were streaming him anyway. He wasn't in my top 36. There will be games where you can play Henry Ruggs as a wide receiver for boomer bust option and take the shot on him in certain situations. This wasn't going to be one of those games. Like I said, I think the Raiders offense all in all played better than I expected them to. Josh Jacobs came in as our number 16 running back on the week. I had him as a mid-level RB2 because I did not have a good feeling about him in this game, especially given the situation behind that offensive line and given that nobody can really run on Tampa Bay to begin with. 10 carries, 17 yards, 3 catches for 14 yards. Obviously, better days are ahead for Josh Jacobs. They just ran into a buzzsaw this week with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who, by the way now, after last week against the Packers and then taking care of business on the road against the Raiders here... This team is looking like the Tampa Bay Super Bowl contending team it was supposed to be going into the offseason. They look like they're starting to get on the right track, including Tom Brady. This is going to be a very dangerous team on both sides of the ball moving forward. Kansas City Chiefs and the Denver Broncos, we get our first snow game of the year, and the Chiefs show that they could easily take care of business. I love how everybody's like, oh, it was a division game. The Broncos beat the Patriots last week. They usually hang in in these situations. I'm like, I'm sorry. Is their quarterback still Drew Locke? Uh, okay. Yeah, Drew Locke was terrible. 24-40, 254 yards, two interceptions in this game. The Chiefs, I mean, the Chiefs offense is even what really was the storyline. It was the defense and the special teams that scored you all the points if you had a piece of the Chiefs. Philip Lindsay gets banged up in this game. He was actually running the ball really, really well before he got hurt. Wound up getting a concussion. We'll have to watch him, see how he progresses through protocol next week. Before he got injured, it was about a 55-45 split in favor of Melvin Gordon still, but still, Phil Lindsay was heavily involved. And like I said, he was running really well. I mean, winds up with eight yards of carry at the end of the day. Melvin Gordon, 17 carries, 68 yards, a touchdown. We had him as a high-end RB2, number 14 on the week. Because we just knew, like, first of all, you can still run the ball against Kansas City, but that's what the Denver Broncos were going to have to lean on. Because with Drew Locke and not having Cortland Sutton anymore, they just don't have a lot to offer in the passing attack, especially against the Chiefs defense. It's actually pretty good against perimeter wide receivers. Tim Patrick was held in check. He's been a deep sleeper of ours, but I told you guys this week I wasn't going to play him. Three catches, 44 yards. 
Noah Fant's going to have better days ahead. I think everybody understands that. Three catches, 38 yards on seven targets. I think everybody understands why, if you had him, you still had to play him as a top 10 tight end in this game. He is their best pass-catching weapon. He is their best mismatch. He still had seven targets. You're not going to worry about Noah Fant moving forward. Better days are ahead. Albert O, seven targets, seven catches, 60 yards. I mean, the tight end position in general was just super involved in this one. That's not something that I, I don't worry about Albert O now stealing targets and everything from Noah Fant. Noah Fant's still the guy. They're just, they're just going to be leaning on more two tight end sets, I believe, moving forward in this offense because it's kind of what they just have to do. They don't have a lot of bodies left right now. Jerry, Judy, you know, K.J. Hamler, they're still rookies. They're still developing. And Judy was, you know, two catches, 20 yards, four targets. Judy's a a low-end wide receiver four at this point. He's not getting the volume that we thought he might get to make him possibly a low-end wide receiver three. He's a low-end wide receiver four. And unless they're in a plus matchup, then I don't know that you can even contemplate playing him in the flex. We'll see what happens between Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon moving forward when maybe one day they'll actually play all four quarters together on the same field. Maybe that'll be next week, like so we'll have to watch Philip Lindsay. But as long as Melvin Gordon doesn't get punished by the league, he continues to be a high in RB2. Other than that, and Noah Fant being a top 10 tight end, I don't know what else you're going to be trusting out of Denver Bronco on a week-to-week basis. So let's move into the San Francisco 49ers and let's talk about the New England Patriots and the stomping that the 49ers put on the Patriots. But again... For all the good the 49ers had in this game, they had a lot of bad. Jeffrey Wilson comes down with a high ankle sprain. We'll get the MRI results sometime on Monday. So maybe by the time you're listening to this podcast, we'll have the actual timeline. But we know that if it's a severe high ankle sprain, which is reportedly what they fear, that's probably at least a four to six injury, six week injury, which means he's going on IR. I think the big story is Jarek McKinnon wasn't the guy. Before Jeff Wilson Jr. got hurt, he was the bell cow. It wasn't there wasn't a split. There wasn't Wilson and Hasty and McKinnon. It was Wilson, Wilson, Wilson. 17 carries, 112 yards, and three touchdowns. Not to mention two catches for eight yards. McKinnon didn't see his first touch until after Jeff Wilson Jr. went down. And even then he was second fiddle to Jamichael Hasty. Not just in touches, but in snaps. I don't know what's going on. There doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason for it. I don't know if Kyle Shanahan in his head is saving Jerry McKinnon for something because he hasn't been bad. And from what we know, we don't know about any, any injury for Jerry McKinnon that he's dealing with to limit him in these games. He was solid when Raheem Mostert went out. He had been active when Mostert and Tevin Coleman beginning of the season were, were in the game too. I don't know why in this game he suddenly wasn't a part of the game plan at all. I don't know if it was because of the matchup. They saw something on tape. I mean, Jeff Wilson Jr. was dominating this game before he went down. Jerry McKinnon wasn't a thing. Now, all of a sudden, we get we get put in a situation where, what do you do with Jerry McKinnon? Because now, next week, they already talk about the possibility. It's not a sure thing, but they talk about the possibility of Tevin Coleman coming back. So we can assume that when Tevin Coleman comes back, then he will be the lead ball carrier. I don't know why Jerry McKinnon suddenly became an afterthought, suddenly became a backup on his team. But now it's two weeks in a row that Jermichael Hasty has played ahead of him too. So you're not going to feel good about playing Jerry McKinnon. I will say this, because the 49er running backs continue to get hurt, he might find himself as the last man standing pretty soon. Or because it's Kyle Shanahan, we might find out that it was a game plan specific situation or it is that he's trying to save Jerry McKinnon for something and all of a sudden he'll be back involved in the game plan. So I don't want to send him down to Flushtown necessarily. 
when you're looking around for running backs in, in favorable situations like it is to have a running back in the 49er situation. But dear Lord, I don't know what to make of it. I don't think anybody does right now. I mean, if you need to drop Jerry McKinnon to pick somebody up, you 100% can. It's not, I'm not saying he's not droppable. He, he, he definitely is. But he's not a send him down the flush. He's not an automatic get him off your team guy for me yet because that's just how weird the San Francisco 49er backfield is. So Michael Hasty come becomes somebody who's a deep sleeper possible pickup. He'll probably be on the waiver wire report. Because if Tevin Coleman doesn't play, then we're down to Hasty and McKinnon. And being that Hasty has played ahead of McKinnon, you know, two weeks in a row now, I think we're gonna probably surmise that he might get a lot of the workload. But would it surprise if he went right back to Jerry McKinnon? No, it wouldn't. That's the issue. We don't know. So if you if you have to drop McKinnon because you have to pick somebody up for whatever reason, then you can absolutely go ahead and do so. I'm not going to stop you from doing that. But we're not necessarily automatically going to send another flush down because just as easily you could turn around and be the guy that you need to own after next week's game against Seattle if Tevin Coleman doesn't return. And that's another thing we're going to keep our eye on. He's another guy who's going to probably be on the waiver wire report heading into next week because he'll have a chance to come back. Debo Samuel also got hurt in this game. He had a pulled hamstring in this game. So we don't know how long he's going to be out for. We don't know how significant that injury is until we get those MRI results as well. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at BellyUpMDFFShow for those player news update notifications. So now we might be back down to Brandon Ayuk, who had a really great game in this one. Six catches, 115 yards on seven targets. Patriots did what we expected them to do, which was the game plan to take George Kittle away, which they kind of did for the most part. Five catches, 55 yards on seven targets. Not a George Kittle-like game that you're looking for, and we tempered our expectations on him because of such. So Brandon Ayuk gives you some kind of hope. He definitely is, if he's going to be the only wide receiver left standing, he's at least going to be worth a roster spot. He's at least going to be considered a boomer bust option at the wide receiver four position for fantasy football purposes because he also gets involved with the end of rounds in the running game. And with no Debo Samuel in there, then he'll get a lot more of those. It won't be back and forth between him and Debo. I still, he still comes with a lot of risk. He still comes with a low floor. Don't get it twisted. But he's somebody who's going to need to be rostered, especially if is going to miss a significant amount of time, which he very well might, depending on how bad the pull is. It's just a very weird San Francisco. They play really well, and then they have a lot of things coming out of the game where they just leave a sour taste in your mouth after a win. Talk about sour taste in your mouth. The Patriots started off with that aftertaste. Oh my goodness. I I have no words. I have no words for Cam Newton. 9 of 15 for 98 yards and three interceptions. Got benched for Jared Stidham, who also came in and threw a pick anyway. We've seen this offense with Brian Hoyer. It's nothing. We've seen this offense with Jared Stidham. It's nothing. The only way they can get anything offensively is Cam Newton. So I know that people were asking the question, well, does Cam get benched? The answer to that is, is absolutely no. Because you haven't seen anything out of the other two quarterbacks to make you feel like you can. The only hope you have right now as the Patriots offensively is that Cam continues to use his legs in order to move the football in order to be a a touchdown maker. That's your best offensive weapon still. So he's not going to get benched. But the problem is that there's nothing. There's nothing on this Patriot offense that you're afraid of right now. There's no threat to stretch the field. Nikhil Harry went down with a head injury in this one. He'll probably be going through concussion protocol going into next week. Julian Edelman continues to be a nothing. You can't play him. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Can you send them down the flush town? No, you can't send them down the flush town either because someone's got to get targets at some point. You can't continue to only throw the ball 25 times, especially if you can find yourself in these situations where you're down in the game trying to come back from behind. You're going to have to do something in the passing attack. That something eventually will probably be Julian Edelman, so we're not going to send him down, but you're not going to play him anytime soon either. Jacoby Myers was the guy four catches, sixty yards on six targets. He came. He was the guy for Nikhil Harry when he went out of the game. I. The only person I'll even think about playing from a fantasy football perspective is Cam Newton. And now, after these last two weeks, I mean, he was doing really well until all of a sudden he got COVID. They wound up having the bye week, so he didn't actually miss any games anyway. And then these last two games have been brutal going from what was a top 10 quarterback because of his legs to a guy that, you know what, you can only play him if the matchup's right. Completely matchup dependent. I still think there's, there's games you can play him. I still think he can be a top 10 quarterback, but it's going to be matchup dependent. And that's just because of his legs. But you have there's no reason to be afraid of anything the Patriots are showing you right now offensively. There's no reason to think that anyone can beat you deep. There's no reason not to just squeeze and squeeze and squeeze this offense. And that's the problem they ran into the last two weeks in a row. That's what the Denver Broncos and San Francisco 49ers did in their games. They just squeezed the offense. And they had nowhere to go. So they're going to have to hit the drawing board and come up with something heading into next week. I still believe Cam can be a top 12 quarterback. Like I said, he's going to be matchup dependent. He falls back more into the streaming territory. Outside of that, I am not touching a New England Patriot. I'm not even contemplating them in my starting lineup right now. Not, not until we see some kind of change out of Josh McDaniels and that offense. So let's move into Jacksonville. Let's move into the Chargers. This wound up being one of the shootout games of the week. 29-39, the Chargers pull it out. They get Justin Herbert gets his first win on the season, and what a phenom he was. He's making me eat my words. I was not big on Justin Herbert coming out of the draft. Now, I'm not going to say that I was definitely wrong because people tried to shove it down my throat with Baker Mayfield and look where we are now where it's like, eh, it's a little questionable about whether or not Baker Mayfield's the future, no? But I will say that I'm not going to criticize him. I'm not going to sit here and say he's not good because he's playing lights out. Now, this was a Jacksonville Jaguars, but he's played lights out against good teams so far too. 347 yards, three touchdowns, 66 yards on the ground and a touchdown. And that was the thing I was kind of waiting for from a fantasy standpoint is that I was like, we haven't seen him use his legs a lot yet. I was like, when he starts doing that from a fantasy standpoint, this guy might be a top 10 quarterback the rest of the way without question. Maybe even work his way into top seven. Continues to play like this and he will. Keenan Allen, 10 catches, 125 yards on 13 targets. Guess where Mike Williams was? Three targets, one catch, four yards. I warned everybody in MD Nation about this. When Keenan Allen is healthy, Justin Herbert only has eyes for him. That's it. You cannot trust another Chargers wide receiver to eat on a consistent basis when Keenan Allen is healthy. You can't. 
Jalen Guyton got his one bomb a game that he seems to be getting over the past few weeks. But there's no other target on the team that comes close to Keenan Allen. He only has eyes for Keenan Allen. And whenever Austin Eckler does return, which we still don't know when it is, and from what it sounds like, that's still not even a thing that's close by yet. He'll have he'll have eyes for him too. But Keenan Allen's double-digit targets in the bank as long as Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen are both on the field. And as a result of that, Mike Williams cannot be played, should not be played, and the argument can be made whether or not it's worth rostering him unless Keenan Allen is down. He doesn't get targeted otherwise. People don't talk about like, oh, well, Herbert has the big arm and Mike Williams can is such a great player. I agree Herbert has a nice arm, and I agree that Mike Williams is a special talent. But we've seen this, I, I've talked about this a million times already now, I feel like. He is the younger version of Philip Rivers. He's not looking to go deep. He's got eyes for one guy, and his name is Keenan Allen. That's it. That's all you can trust. Even Hunter Henry, you can't drop him. You can't bench him. He still had seven targets on the game, but it's getting really frustrating that Hunter Henry cannot find the end zone going into week eight now. It's really frustrating that that's the thing. He still continues to be the second targeted guy with Austin Eckler out to Keenan Allen, and that that's why you still have to continue to play him. I have to believe as long as he continues to get those kind of opportunities, he will eventually find the red zone. But it's getting really frustrating sitting back watching that go. Now, as far as the running backs, talk about other disappointments, even though they scored 39 points. It's, it's funny. I feel like they have more disappointments than not, even though this team played well overall. Justin Jackson, Joshua Kelly, both were guys. I had, just, I had Justin Jackson as a low-end RB2, Joshua Kelly as a, as a flex play. Because it's the Jacksonville Jaguars, and you can run on them, and, and apparently the Chargers couldn't. I mean, unless you're Justin Herbert. And maybe that was part of it, but Joshua Kelly had 12 carries in this game for 29 yards. Both running backs actually had 2.4 yards a carry, because Justin Jackson had 5 carries for 12 yards. Now, he was the lead guy as far as the passing stat line goes. Not the targets. Not the receptions. Justin Jackson had 6 targets. Joshua Kelly had 5. They both had five receptions. The difference with Jackson who had 43 yards off of his five receptions. He's definitely the better pass catching back. But the fact that Joshua Kelly was that involved in the passing game this week and out carry Justin Jackson leaves you what leaves you wondering. You came out of last week. Jackson was the lead ball carrier and by far the lead pass catcher. Joshua Kelly wasn't even involved in that aspect. And I think more times than not, Jackson's going to lead the way when it comes to catching the football. I don't think it should be a surprise to anybody. And I think that will be the case moving forward. But the question about which running back is ahead of the other, that becomes a real debate heading into this week. Now, because of the floor of Jackson in the receiving game, Jackson will probably be my more valuable back in all scoring formats heading into week eight. But you don't feel great about it because this is going to be a 50-50 split. They have to have plus matchups, and they have to actually be efficient and effective, which they weren't in this one in a matchup where they should have been. So they're both going to be in the RB3 territory because the volume will still be there, and one of them will more likely have a good game. Like I said, I'll be leaning towards Jackson, but they're both going to be RB3's flex plays rather than one of them being an RB2, which is what we were kind of having in mind and hoping for uh, in the first place before. So this is kind of disappointing in that sense, something that we're going to have to watch, something that you have to feel uneasy about heading into Week 8 now. Let's flip over to Jacksonville. There was talk about Gardner Minshew possibly being benched if he didn't play well. He didn't play particularly well in this game. 14 of 2,773 yards, two touchdowns. He was not benched. 
I continue to stay fast on I can't see how or why you would make the argument to bench Gardner Minshew for Mike Glennon. I, I don't I just don't see it. I I the fact that there's been as much talk about it means that to me I have to at least acknowledge that there's a possibility because I don't think there would be this much talk about it if there wasn't, but it wouldn't make any sense if they did. In the meantime, though, James Robinson reestablished himself in this game, got going again because he's been something I've been a little bit, I talked about maybe selling on because I'm a little bit worried about his overall usage and the role in this offense. But there's also a team that scored 29 points in this game, and outside of week one, they didn't really do that. They haven't really done that. James Robinson could still continues to be an RB2, but he does have a tough playoff schedule. And while I wouldn't just sell him off, no, 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 no. He's still a high-end RB2. And possibly you can make the argument to be a low-end RB1, given the landscape right now. If you can maybe sell him for someone who has a... If you could sell James Robinson for a Clyde Edwards-Elaire, somebody who has a nice playoff schedule, a nice offense, I would contemplate it. Even then, though, with Le'Veon Bell, I would still question that. I still might still rather have James Robinson. I think it's a wash either way. But you're looking for somebody who has a who's of similar value, is more my point, who has a better schedule down the road. I mean, otherwise, if you want to stay pat with James Robinson, that's perfectly fine. I'm not telling you he's, he's not a sell-high candidate for me, but he's somebody I would contemplate because I am a little shaky about this offense moving forward, some of the decisions that they're talking about making. Because Mike Lennon would make this a, a nightmare for everybody. If Mike Lennon takes over a quarterback, I'm, I'll be on this microphone telling you guys, screaming, sell James Robinson and sell DJ Chark. Get, every, get, get rid of everything if Mike Lennon becomes a quarterback. So it's more, I'm more worried about what in the world is going on in the front, af, front office and in the, in the coaching staff of the Jacksonville Jaguars than I am about James Robinson necessarily. Everybody was a disappointment in the passing game. Everybody. DJ Chark had one catch for 26 yards. He had the most targets. He had seven. He's someone, unfortunately, because of the just inconsistent nature of the Jaguar offense, that he has to fall back into a low-end wide receiver three area where you're contemplating playing him in a flex situation based on matchups, based on what you have available to you in your roster construction. The targets have been there. He's been the lead targeted guy. So the opportunity, the volume is there, and that's what you take solace out of when you're looking at a guy like DJ Chark. But... Man, oh man, you can't trust anybody. Keelan Cole, one catch. He only had two targets in this game. That leaves you sick to your stomach. It's just it's just kind of brutal coming out of this matchup. In a game in which they scored 29 points, there's very little to take away from it unless you had James Robinson. Now, better days are ahead, I do believe, for DJ Chark, but you can't really look at him as a high-end wide receiver three or possible low-end wide receiver two right now, even though he's getting the target share. Just because he hasn't, he hasn't been able to consistently execute. This hasn't happened. And it's something that's going to be shaky moving forward because the Minshew magic, I think, has run its course at this point. That's going to do it for the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We will be back tomorrow with the Sunday night, Monday night recap and the waiver wire report like we are. Of course, we'll be back on Thursday and Friday on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, from 12 to 1.30 live. So make sure you check out the app, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, on Android, WWSRN on iOS. Always presented to you by Belly Up Sports. Everyone stay safe. Stay happy. I hope you get your Sunday night and Monday night miracles, and we'll be back to talk to you again tomorrow night.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.